Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdena Osband, our daf of the day, Masachet Yevamot, daf Pei, page 80. So, on Ahmed Aleph here, we return to our question, which shows up, it's discussed, you know, the daf before we get to the point that I want to talk about at the bottom of the Ahmed, about the baby who's do- born during the eighth month. Now, you'll recall, we've talked about this in the past, Yerdena, you've talked about this in the past, that a baby born in the ninth month is considered healthy, a baby born in the, ele- in the seventh month is considered healthy, a baby born in the eighth month is considered a danger, and... We've talked about your thing. You talked about why that might be. I recall something from something I learned many years ago that it may have. There was a hypothesis that it might have actually been a real thing, the real danger pertaining to lung development and that kind of thing. I don't know enough about it. Your Dana, you can always chime in. But what happens on our daf here is that the Gemara asks whether such a baby, such a child who's born in the eighth month, can survive. Uven shmona mi chaye can a can a baby, can a can one born in the eighth month of pregnancy survive? Vatanya ben Shmona. And the the Breita says, or asks the question of the Breita, Ben Shmona Harehu Keven. Didn't we learn, and this was part of the previous discussion, that the child that's born during the eighth month is like a stone, meaning it's some it's a it's like the the understanding here is it's a stone, the way a stone is mukta, meaning it's something that's set aside. And therefore, you kind of treat it as off limits. Some, the stone on Shabbos would be prohibited from carrying it, as we learned back in the Sakh Shabbat. But the, the mother, the mother of this child, can bend over him, can nurse him. Because of that danger, what's that danger? Meaning the, the question of the, whether the baby will survive right, is dependent on that danger. And it seems also to be a danger to the mother, who herself might have some complications, whatever, if she, and this is an interesting comment that I saw, if she were to not be able to nurse, right, if she were not to enable the child to uh, nurse from her, then she would have, uh, you know, whatever. She wouldn't She wouldn't um, release her milk in any way. In any case, the Gemara and commentaries, right, they're trying to understand what exactly might the danger be. And in this case, the solution to or to diminish the danger for both the baby and the mother is in fact for her to treat him and to handle him you know hold him whatever and in fact to lean over him and to provide him the means of nursing askina the gemara wants to know what are we what are we really talking about here kishigamru simanav so the gemara says we're talking about a case where the child has the simanim the signs of viability those are developed, meaning there's an assumption here that even though this baby was born at eight months, um, it actually, you know, is likely to survive. It has this, the appearance, whatever, of a child who would survive. So what does it mean that a, the, the Gemara brings another break to that says, what does it mean a child who is uh, born in the eighth month? It's one who's, where it seems that he has not been finished, right? The, it seems something premature in the child's formation or development. Rebbe Omer Simanin Mochachin Alav. So then Rebbe, meaning Rebbe Hudanasi, says, but when you have those Simanin, the signs of what we'll call viability, that, the, that this infant will actually survive, then the point is that those same signs prove that the, never mind that the child is born in eight months, it's not really a, an eight-month baby. Like regardless of how many months um, of of pregnancy went by, 
This child is more developed than that. For example, the question is, you know, what about hair? What about nails? If they're not fully developed, then you're talking about a baby who's, pardon my crassness here, but not fully cooked, right? Meaning that there's a developmental issue because the baby was born prematurely. But if all of those signs, right, again, nails, hair, that kind of thing, uh, which we know are the final stages of gestation, then it doesn't matter what day the baby comes out, what month the baby comes out, right? Because really um, the development is there. Ta'ama delo gamru ha gamru. Meaning, you don't, if the the eighth month is the explanation for why those um, elements might not be fully developed, but in the case where they are fully developed, then we're going to say, Amrinan hai bar shivahu. Then this baby was really a seventh month baby. And um, and it was just delayed coming out, um, you know, meaning the development took place within the first seven months. And the eighth month is extra, as opposed to the eighth month being that dangerous time um, where the child, where both the child and the mother could be in, in danger. Um, okay, the Gemara then goes on, because this point of the child being delayed in the womb uh is an interesting way of phrasing it, right? Um, we sometimes joke about that when somebody when a when a pregnancy goes longer than the expected time, you know, what's taking so long? Oh, you know, the baby's uh prepping to come out. But so that that's all a matter of joking, but the Gemara picks up on this and actually takes it much further. So we're talking about a case where here we've got Rava Tosfa, who is actually, I don't know anything about Rava Tosfa. Do you? No, I do not. I, I, I'm i sorry. I should have looked him up, but I didn't even, I'm sorry. I apologize to all our co-learners. I will look him up and we will talk about him at a different time. But in any case, um, the case is one of a woman whose husband went to Medinataya, meaning across the sea. He's gone traveling presumably okay, for so work actually, for Rabba Tos- he's an it's an interesting person he's actually probably a very late amora um and he appears in brachot um and his students actually are Saborayim. so he's really considered to be like a last generation amora excellent i'm just embarrassed now that we forgot him from a brachot maybe our co-learners remember him but in any case, so now that we know who he's talking about, and also I think, Yordana, I think that we've been at this long enough to be able to say that the the case he's talking about feels like a late case. Um, you'll you'll all agree with me or disagree with me, but you'll hear in in a moment why I say this. So again, what's happening? We were talking about a woman whose husband went to Medinatayam. He's traveling, presumably for business. He went overseas, and Vistahi and Tresayarchi Shata. So what happens? She, the baby is, quote, delayed. It's waiting in her womb for the 12 months of the year. And then, you know, but nonetheless, the baby came out fine. So the Gemara says, well, you know, when you have a baby that's born 12 months after the father left to Medinatayam, one might think that the father is not the father. Pardon me. It's not me who says this, right? Commentary say this, right? This is this is the concern. What does it mean that the child was waiting in the womb for 12 months? The the default is to assume that something else took place, right? But the Gemara says, well, no, really, this must be like Rebbe, 
meaning Rebbe's opinion above, where who says that you know the baby could be delayed for a period of time in the mother's womb, even after it's fully developed, meaning seven months to eight months. Now, scientifically, we all know that this is not how this works, but but the the attention to detail in terms of gestation, including the development of stages of prematurity and all like this, I think is very, very interesting. And the possibility of excusing what appears to be, you know, marital indiscretion, let's call it that, um, on the mother's part is, you know, she's got a good excuse here, according to the Gemara, according to Rebia Uranasi, we can say, well, you know, really the baby was, was ready and simply was delayed in the womb. And, you know, Rebbe Uranasi's opinion here is in the minority, but Ravatosva can decide according to that view, right, against the majority opinion, presumably for the sake of saving saving the baby's reputation, saving the mother's reputation, saving the family. Otherwise, we've got a mamzer situation. And we know that the Gemara and Rishonim and Bale Halacha, bend, maybe not so much the Rabbinate of Israel, but we'll leave that out of it, um, bend over backwards to make sure that we diminish the number of mamzerim in, in Kahal Hashem, in, in, amongst the Jewish people. Um, so, so, so far, so good. At least we have... I mean, it's a very extreme case, and I think that's part of why I kind of feel that this must be a late case because it doesn't it doesn't sit well with even the example above, namely seven months to eight months. And then the Gemara answers, Well, we also know, says the Gemara, that Rav Shimon ben Gamliel says that a baby can be delayed in the womb as well, meaning it's not just Rav Shimon ben Rav Shimon ben he says that any baby who stays alive for 30 days, now this means after delivery, is not considered a nafel. A nafel is a child who, a baby who is not going to make it. And halachically, um, the term nafel, it, 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 it kind of comes to mean the, the baby that was born that was never going to make it, which might be translated even, I've seen it translated as stillborn. It doesn't really literally mean stillborn. It means that the baby could be born alive, but because he doesn't or she doesn't last 30 days, um, it's as if that child was never born as a child. Um, it's exactly the definition of the lack of viability, which is the opposite, right? So so Rabbi Shemuel's point is that when the baby stays alive for 30 days, that's not an AFL. So then you don't worry about the viability, right? You could presume the baby was a seven-month baby and stayed in the womb two extra months, right? Um, which, again, which is a challenge. It's a difficult kind of position. But the point the Gemara is making by bringing in the statement by Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, ben Gamliel is to support the idea of Rav that um, that this woman could indeed hold on to the baby inside of her until her husband returns from Medina Tayyam. I mean, it, this is so fantastical. I don't even know what to say. You know, it's I, like, it, it, it just, the case isn't logical to me. I mean, and, and I wonder, like, I would love to understand what science did they have this based on that this felt to make sense to them. Oh, so I think that the science, I think that Ravatosva knew what he was doing. In Meaning, what way? I think that this is the 
prevention of mumsy re- mumsy root. I think so this is words, the they, they, they're willing to sort of say something that to us really logically does not make sense because of the science we understand. But there they could stretch it a little bit, and that was right. That's, like a that's my, okay. I, meaning, I, I uh, this is like a very modernish understanding, right? In terms of of my understanding, but instead of saying, oh yes, in fact, we know that there are women who um, hold on to their babies inside of them for an extra three months, meaning that's like, it, it not only does it make no sense, certainly in this day and age, you go a couple of weeks past your due date and they're inducing you or whatever, right? Like this is not, it would not happen in the modern era, but I don't think, and perhaps I'm being too cynical here, but I don't think it happened in the ancient era either i think that either there was a mistake in the original calculation let's say if the if the family was all there all the time she thought she was pregnant she wasn't pregnant she got pregnant again without realizing that there was like that kind of um interlude of not being pregnant in between but if the father is in medina tayam i i think that this is um generous on ravatosfa's part to to establish it in such a way that it's impossible that there's a mamzer here and then the father comes home and is assured reassured that there's no mamzer here I don't know meaning it seems to me that it's a whitewashing for the sake of protecting everybody right and, maybe and, I, and I think was probably really believed it. maybe everybody really you, believed it I think was actually probably practical like this is probably something that happened I just want to mention one other thing uh, in turn of this, you know, Rabba, uh, you know, what his last name is, that it's uh, Tosafa. Uh, some scholars actually say that this is how we sort of know he's a last generation of Mora because he was somehow involved with maybe like arranging the, the Gemara. Like, and so he sort of, he adds on uh, to what was already in the Gemara. So I, I just, you could spend a little bit of time sort of Googling him or looking him up, but uh, an interesting Amora. Um, the most gonna... important thing is to not confuse him with Rava, right? Yes, Meaning yes, the main yes. Rava throughout yeah, the Gemara. He's totally different. Um, so um, I'm going to move on to an interesting Brisa that we have here that really talks about this case of Sris Chama and how do we define what it is and how do we know that somebody is one? Um, and again, you know, this is sort of the science that they had. So today, whereas if let's say somebody was experienced infertility, they would go to the doctor and there's, you know, tests they would do that sort of really examine the inner workings of somebody body, of someone's body, even down to, you know, examining sperm or examining an egg or examining their hormone levels. These were things that obviously were not available. And, um, you know, so they have a, a, a different way of taking, you know, of how did they do this? And that's why I thought this bracelet was interesting. So who is a Sris, who would fall into this category of, uh, of Sris Chama? In other words, what male uh, who exhibits some type of Sris, you know, characteristics would be considered a Sris Chama? So anybody who gets to age 20 and does not have two pubic hairs, and even if he, you know, grows them later, Right, it still would consider to be sort of a, 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 an issue uh, that it's not so clear cut, you know, with having such a sort of delayed puberty. And that's really what a Saris and an Ailion need are, is that they don't grow pubic hair. 
So even when it's very, very late coming, um, you know, uh, but, but, you know, it still could be considered to be uh, a problem. Um, okay. So in that case, he's considered a Sarisa in all respects. The And these are some of his other sort of identifying markers, right? Kolshain Lozakain, if he doesn't have a beard, or his hair on his head is soft, his skin is smooth, right? So in other words, these would be some of the things that we would describe as not having like secondary characteristics, let's say, of puberty. Um, Anyone whose water or urine does not produce foam. Now that's not a characteristic of puberty I've ever heard of. The <laughs> Anyone who urinates and it doesn't form an arch. Now, again, we read these things and they feel very sort of silly to us. But, it, you know, this was the best that they could do. They really observed things that today we do not necessarily pay as much attention to because this is their only way to deduce or to figure these things out. Anyone whose semen is watery. Anyone whose urine doesn't like putrefy, meaning it doesn't have a bad odor or something like that, or doesn't become spoiled when it's left in a uh, in a, some type of clay. Others say anyone who bathes in his, in the winter and his skin does not produce a vapor. So I think that's like talking about body odor. Anyone whose voice is thin, and it's not discernible whether it's a man or a woman. So again, what I think they're really describing is, is they're paying attention to sort of what we would, you know, describe as puberty characteristics and somebody who doesn't develop those. Some of these are not things on that list anymore, particularly the things with urine, but even the thing with bathing in the winter, right? We know that before somebody reaches puberty, they don't really have a lot of body odor. Uh, but in other words, even adults who aren't necessarily sweating in the winter, we still tend to have to shower a little bit more after puberty. And I think that those are the things it's talking about. Right. So now we're going to do the female category of this. If they come to 20 and they don't even have two hairs, and even if they produce two pubic hairs after age 20, she is an ailonit. So again, the defining characteristic for both of these is the absent or very delayed appearance of pubic hair. But then the Bryce is going to go through other characteristics to pay attention to. Um, these are her markers. Right, if she has no breasts, or has pain uh, when she has a sexual relationship. And I think this is actually very, very key because I know there's been a lot of discussion before about sort of minors and can minors get married. This really was sort of acknowledging that I think people before puberty, especially women, should not be engaging in sexual activity, that it would not be comfortable for them. I'm not even talking about this piece, but just physically not appropriate. Anyone who does not have a lower abdomen like that of ordinary women. In other words, 
her body shape uh, should sort of uh, be different than what it looks like pre-pubertone. We know that, you know, uh, we understand what that means. Rabbi Shem ben Lezer Omer, anyone whose voice is thick, and it's not clear whether it's a man or it's a woman. So I, I just thought this price was fascinating. Um, it's really sort of, it, this is the science of the Gemara. Some of these things have held up to be true. Some of them are not. Um, I wonder if some of the things about urine or things like that are these things that maybe did really have some truth and were we could prove, but because we have so many other things that we can turn to today, we don't need to even look at these things or observe these types of things. So I, I just think it's interesting to watch, you know, read this Brisa and really see how observant they were and all the variety of characteristics they had in both, you know, the man and woman uh, categories to really say, like, this is a person who, based on how they look or lack of development, we really will call into question. Or our assumption is that this is a person whose body that they're infertile, again, not the type of infertility that I think we often think of when we speak about infertility today, but really it seems to be a developmental puberty type of infertility, right? Like just not maturing the way that somebody should have. Right. And we've talked about this before that we don't see this nowadays because such a person would end up getting hormonal treatment early in puberty, early in the years that otherwise would be puberty. And so then when you meet the grown up, right, there's nothing to to wonder about. Right. right. There's no there's no definition here of like right. I know in my office what the cutoff is. If I have a teenager who comes in at certain ages, you know, depending when when a girl doesn't read menstruation, when a boy, you know, someone is not menstruating by age sixteen, that's like a very big deal, you know. If you don't see any, you know, pubic hair, and we're talking in your teens, we don't wait till age twenty, right? they're going to get a full workup and there's interventions that we can already do. So I think that's a very key point. We're not seeing these things because of the way medicine has actually developed. Indeed. And it's, you know, kind of every so often I feel like this is playing God, right? And every so often I feel like, no, like this is, this is exactly the glory of what it means to develop science to help prevent this kind of situation that the Gemara spends so much ink on right? That is clearly considered a difficult situation, you know, disturbing, terrible, problematic for the people involved because of all of the things that entails. And we've kind of fundamentally, at least in the Western world, kind of eliminated that. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank is reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. 